morning. Well, the leaves are changing, changing of a season. Just as in life, there are seasons. I know my wife loved this one, so uh, some of us like summer. Some of us don't like fall because we know winter's coming. <laughs> and uh, with winter comes cold and the death of all green things, but there's spring, then there's summer. So we can always look to the seasons and remember that God is not done. Just as the end of every day, if God does not return, we'll see the sun the following day. And God always gives us a reminder of his presence with us. Well, this morning I'm taking a a week break from Romans, and I want to read this morning in Second Chronicles, if you'll stand with me, chapter 34. It is a long passage, but I do want to read the whole thing. And the word of the Lord to us this morning says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of his father David, and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still yet a youth, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim, the carved image of the molten images. They tore down the altars of the Baals, in his presence, and the incense altars that were high above them he chopped down, and also the Asherim, the carved images and the molten images he broke in pieces and ground to powder and scattered it on the groves, graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Then he burned the bones of the priests on the altars and purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, as, even as far as Naphtali, in their surrounding ruins. He also tore down the altars, beat the Asherim, and carved the images into powder, and chopped down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Now in the eighteenth year of his reign, when he had purged the land in the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Zilah, and Maasai, an official of the city, and Joah, the son of Jehoahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. They came to Hilkiah the high priest and delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites, the doorkeepers, had collected from Manasseh, Ephraim, and from all the remnant of Israel, and from all Judah and Benjamin in the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Then they gave it to the hands of the workmen who had the oversight of the house of the Lord. And the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord used it to restore and repair the house. Then in turn gave it to the carpenters and to the builders to buy quarried stone and timber for couplings and to make beams for the houses which the king of Judah had let go to ruin. The men did the work faithfully, with four men over them to supervise Johath, Obadiah, the Levites, the son of Merari, Zechariah, and Meshalam, of the sons of the Kohathites, and the Levites, all who were skillful with musical instruments. They were also over the burden bearers and supervised all the workmen from job to job. And some of the Levites were scribes and officials and gatekeepers. When they were bringing out the money which had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. 
Hilkiah responded and said to Shapham, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shapham. Then Shapham brought the book to the king and reported further word to the king, saying, Everything that was entrusted to your servants they are doing. They have also emptied out the money which was found in the house of the Lord and delivered it into the hands of the supervisors and the workmen. Moreover, Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkah the priest gave me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkah and Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Abdon, the son of Micah, and Shaphan the scribe and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of this book which have been found. For great is the wrath of God which is poured out on us, because our fathers have not observed the word of the Lord to do according all that is written in this book. So Hilkiah and those whom the king had told went to Hilda the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokath, the son of Hashra, the keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke to her regarding this. She said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am bringing evil on this place and on its inhabitants, even all the curses written in the book which they have, read in the presence of the king of Judah. Because they have forsaken me and have burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place, and it shall be not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire the Lord, thus you will say to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, guarding the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender... And you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants. And because you humbled yourself before me, tore your clothes and wept before me, I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. So your eyes will not see all the evil which I will bring on this place and on its inhabitants. And they brought back word to the king. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and all the people from the greatest to the least. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart with all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant written in this book. Moreover, he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand with him. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Josiah removed all the abominations from all the lands belonging to the sons of Israel and made all who were present in Israel to serve the Lord their God Throughout his lifetime, they did not turn from following the Lord God of their fathers. Father, we pray that your word would have such an effect in our lives. That it would bring a rending of our hearts, not just our clothes, Father. That we would be broken and pierced. 
that we would be transformed, desiring to see your glory and your kingdom come. Father, I pray that as we come into your word this morning, your words would be evident. You would speak through me. Lord, pour out your presence. Use your spirit to speak to the heart of your people today. Lord, without you, I have nothing to give. But your word is powerful, Lord. And I pray that it would go forth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. I know it's a long passage that we read, and we're not going to go like we have been doing in Romans and verse by verse. But I think it's important that we read this whole thing because we see here a king who is different. And when I say different, you think, well, what do you mean? If you look at the 57 years that preceded him, you kind of come to Josiah in a state of shock because his grandfather Manasseh was a wicked man. Near the end of his life, Manasseh did repent, we see, in the book of Kings. But the majority of his life, Manasseh was a wicked, wicked king. And it's no surprise that his son Ammon was even worse. So much so that it seems that within two years, people had killed him. There was an uprising because he was so wicked, God had sent out His wrath on him. So we get to Josiah, and it seems strange that here an eight-year-old boy who becomes king serves the Lord all the days of his life. How is that possible? How is it possible that a boy who has never seen a godly leader, a boy who is completely different could come from these men. Well, I would say it's God's prerogative, His sovereignty to choose Josiah. And you say, well, I think you're just coming up with ideas. I think maybe you you just want it to sound that way. But it's not, because... In 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 2, 290 years approximately before the birth of Josiah, it was prophesied to Jeroboam, the worst king of Israel, the first king of Israel, the Israelite king who was used as a standard for how wicked the kings of Israel were. He had set up an altar in Bethel, which before Jerusalem had become the city of the king, had been the place where God, the true God, had been worshipped. So he took one of his golden calves and set it up in Bethel. And Jeroboam is working to worship this God. And God sends a prophet from Judah. And that prophet, in verse 13, verse 2, prophesies. And I don't know if you remember this, he prophesied that Josiah would burn and desecrate that altar in his coming. 290 years from the beginning of the reign of Jeroboam to the beginning of the reign of Josiah. 
If that is not God's sovereignty, I don't know what is, because it is impossible to think that Josiah just happened to follow God. This is God working through Josiah. How did God do it? We don't know. It's very likely if you you read the list of men that Josiah sends to the prophetess were all godly men. Men who protected Jeremiah. Men who were the priest. These were the people that were serving Josiah. So it's very likely God used godly men to raise up Josiah because could an eight-year-old rule a kingdom? Not very likely, right? There was somebody ruling in his stead until he was mature and old enough. It's interesting. He rules for 31 years. Much longer than his father. Not quite as long as his grandfather. But we see this trend in the kings of Israel. Just like reading the book of Judges, right? Book of Judges, God raises up a godly man. What happens? God delivers them. When he dies, everyone runs away. Back to their idols, back to their gods. But here is a different story. With the kings of Judah, whenever there was a good king, they would follow God. But when they died, the following kings would welcome in idols, welcome in the things of the world. So we see kings like Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, and Josiah, reforming kings, kings who God affects greatly. But Josiah is one very different because he's so young when he starts to follow the Lord. What does it say? It says, He did right, verse 2, in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. He didn't lean too far one way or the other. He didn't run after idolatry, but he also didn't seek to be faithful only to the law. He he wasn't trying to work his way to God. It says in verse 3, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father David. So he was 16. If we do the math, at 16 years of age, Josiah began to seek the Lord. Do you think Josiah just got an inclination, you know what, I think I'm going to seek the Lord. No, God, through the Holy Spirit, began to work on Josiah. It's likely that God was already working in him, but he truly began to seek the God of his father David in his eighth year of reigning. And it's likely also that this was the beginning of his reign as a king, truly. That this, his 16th year of life, was the beginning of 
his reign as a king, and his walk with God. Not far after, within four years, what does it say? And in the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places. We're seeing here the beginning of a cleanse. You know, sometimes in the health community, people take these drinks and they they do a cleanse for a week. We want to get all these things out of our system. By the way, those those don't work. I know that may shock you. Your body actually does that naturally. You just have to change what you put in. (laughs) But here, Josiah sees the wickedness. He's been seeking the Lord for four years and he realizes all these idols that are around me have got to go. This is an abomination. And the interesting thing, when we come to the fact that they find the book of the law, he's doing this based solely upon the word of others. He's not actually read the word of God because it's not been available. Somebody, maybe Hilkai, had told him, God hates these things, these idols. Or maybe God had been speaking to him in his time of prayer. We don't know. But somehow, Josiah knew that the high places needed to go and that these gods were not gods at all. Maybe it was the fact that the people of Israel, the northern tribes, had been destroyed by Assyria. They had already been taken into captivity at this point. So Josiah, maybe he's thinking, well, wait, if all these gods are actually gods, then why did the people of Israel go off into captivity? Maybe that was a clue. We don't know. But he began to cleanse the land because he knew that if that stuff stayed, God would not be worshipped. As Christians, we have to realize that we can't just serve the Lord and keep our idols. You don't think those idols were, are going to entice you? going to draw you in? You say, well, I don't have any idols. Really? Oh, you, you don't have an Asherim or a Baal or... or some carved or molten image? You don't have a totem pole at your house or um, a, a Buddha? You know, you're okay. No! We see here, idolatry is putting anything in the place of God. It can be many things. Sports. Which if you are serving the sports God today, you would be serving the social ethic that we're seeing in the streets, right? Or maybe maybe you're serving yourself. You've placed yourself on the throne. The idol of your pride. Maybe you have a different idol. Maybe it's success in your work. Maybe it's pride in yourself and your own abilities. 
Maybe, maybe the idol that you are serving is one that is so subtle that you don't even realize it. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your husband or, or wife. You've elevated them to a place where they're above God. That they direct your ways. They direct your life. That doesn't mean we don't love our family or our spouses. Maybe it's a single person. You're, you're looking for that person to come along and, and you've elevated that to such a height that you've lost God. You're, you're putting all your strength into finding that person. And then when you find them, guess what? You're going to be sadly disappointed because it's not the end. If I haven't hit you yet, maybe you're a young person and you have these great desires to play and win video games. I remember I would spend hours playing video games, which if you look back now, my accomplishments in these video games was wasted. No one's walking around talking about how I did in such and such game. I know it shocks you. But whatever it may be in our lives that is taking our time, what is it that consumes us? Where is our time going? That would be a good sign of what our idols are. And all the things that I listed, it's not necessary, necessarily sin to love your spouse, to love your family, to, to look for the spouse that God has or to enjoy the things of this life. But the problem is when they become the source of your strength and your joy and your pleasure, that is sin. And we need to be about the business of cleansing ourselves of these idols. Like Josiah. Josiah did not play games. He didn't just cut them down or take these idols and put them in a storeroom for later. No, he actually chopped them down. He carved them up and turned them into powder. He didn't want there to be any residue for people to worship. John Owen is famous for saying, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And all sin is idolatry, right? When we choose to disobey God, we are serving an idol. When we choose to serve other things, we're serving an idol. What's interesting about Josiah is he didn't keep his cleansing work only in Judah. He actually went into the north, into Israel, where Assyria had taken them captive. And he began to tear down the altars in Manasseh 
Ephraim, Simeon, and as far as Naphtali. Because somehow Josiah, it's, it's very likely at this point, the Assyrian Empire is starting to lose their power. The Babylonian Empire is starting to exert force. And so the Assyrian Empire doesn't care about Israel. They've already captured the people. And so Josiah is able, because of his proximity, to go and to cleanse the land of Israel. Not all, but a large section of it. But Josiah's cleansing didn't stop with the land. It went to the house of God. This cleanse affected the temple. And that begins in verse 8, the 18th year of his reign. Isn't that crazy? It took six years for him to cleanse the land of all these idols. And then he begins to purge the temple. He gives money to Hilkiah the high priest. And where did this money come from? Everywhere. It came from Judah, Jerusalem, and it came from the tribes of Israel. Isn't that incredible? That here these people who have seen their loved ones go off into captivity, the ones who stayed decided to give money to the restoration of the temple. They had seen the worthlessness of these idols. And now they, through the power of the Spirit and God's work in Josiah, were prepared to help restore the worship of God. And isn't that interesting? Because when we begin to cleanse ourselves of idols we realize that our worship of God has been contaminated. We realize that we have been worshiping God in filthy ways. The temple had just been let to rot. Said the roof was caving in and and timbers were were rotting. And so the money came in and they began to work. And then something dramatic happens. They begin to cleanse. But then something happens they found money in the temple and they were bringing it out so that they could pay the workmen to to do more work and as they were doing that they found the book of the law this book had been lost we don't know how because it says in Deuteronomy verse 30 Sorry, I I had it here. Sorry, in in Deuteronomy 31, verse 25, God had directed 
the people of Israel to put the book of the law beside the Ark of the Covenant. And so somehow the book of the law in the midst of Manasseh bringing in Baals and Asherim to worship in the court of God and him setting up altars in the house of God, it's likely the Levites were like, we need to hide the book because if we don't, it's going to be burned. It's going to be useless. It's going to be no good. And not only that, we see, if you turn with me at verse at chapter 35 of Second Chronicles, verse 3, it says, He also said to the Levites who taught all Israel and who were holy to the Lord, Put the holy ark in the house which Solomon the son David, the son of David, king of Israel, built. It will be a burden on your shoulders no longer. Now serve the Lord, your God, and his people. The ark had not been in the temple. Does that make sense? Somehow, the Levites had taken the ark out because they said, we will not let this uncleanness affect the worship of God. And so, there were some faithful Levites. I don't know where they took the ark, but it wasn't in the temple. They had been carrying it, keeping it from that idolatry. And so, it's no surprise the book had been lost. And their attempt to hide it, maybe someone died. And who died? They didn't know. That person forgot to tell someone else that the book was there. So the high priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And when we say the book of the law, that would be from Genesis to Deuteronomy, the five, first five books, the Pentateuch. But Hilkiah didn't just keep the book and oh, oh, I just, oh, I just, I'm so glad to see it again. I'm, I'm going to hold it like a talisman to to protect me from my enemies. No, Hilkiah understood the power of God's word and he gave it to the scribe Shephon. But he didn't give it, giving the book just so that Shephon could look through it and, and make notes and um, highlight good verses that felt good. No, he gave it to Shephon for a reason, to take to the king. In verse 16, Then Shephon brought the book to the king and reported further word to the king, saying, Everything that was entrusted to your servants they are doing. These workmen were faithfully serving their king and serving God. They were restoring the house of worship. They were doing the work necessary to restore worship in the house of God. And in the midst of that, they found the Word of God. And moreover, verse 18, Shephan the scribe told the king, Hilkah the priest gave me a book. And Shephon read it in the presence of the king. 
The 18th year of the reign of Josiah is the most influential and most strategic year in his reign. It is the most ultimate year. It is the the change of his life and the life of the people of Israel and the people of Judah that were still there. We don't know. Did he read the whole book? Did the, did the scroll that they found, the, the book of the law, was it the entire five books? We don't know. But it doesn't matter because what he heard changed him. It transformed him. Yes, he had been cleansing, but he didn't realize the depravity of the people of Israel. He didn't realize what God was about to do. He didn't realize how wicked his grandfather and his father had been. He didn't realize how holy God is. But when the book was read to him, the things that he heard, what did it cause him to do? Verse 19, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. It was a sign of what God was doing in his heart. Because when he heard the words of the Lord and the word of God, his heart was torn open. And this was a sign of repentance for him personally. And how do I know that? Because when you look in verse 27, it says, Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God. What did he do? He tore himself. And when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and because you humbled yourself before me, tore your clothes and wept before me. I have truly heard you. So in his tearing of clothes, he was weeping and crying out to God for mercy. I think if we want to talk about a salvation experience, God had started a work in Josiah. But this was the turning point of his life. And the life of Judah and the few tribes of Israel that were still around. At least for his lifetime. How do we respond to God's Word? Do we weep? Do we mourn? Are our hearts torn? Are our hearts broken by our sin? Are our hearts broken to see God's judgment coming upon us and those who are in sin? Are we crying out to God? When we find time to get into His Word, are we weeping over His Word? 
I have to be honest, I'm, I'm not always. I should be, right? We, we have, I mean, I probably have five or six Bibles sitting on my shelf. But here, this man, Josiah, a godly man at this point, he had never heard the words of God. But when he heard the words that God had recorded through Moses, he was broken. Maybe we need to throw out and hide our Bibles for a year. I'm not saying we should. Maybe we become so inundated with the Word of God that we take it for granted. Oh, there's one sitting over there on the counter. There's, there's one over there. Oh, I've got one on my phone too. Oh, I can listen to it on, the, on my audiobook thing. Yeah, I've got so many ways to, to ingest God's Word. But are we taking it to heart? When Josiah heard the words, what happened inside was demonstrated in his tearing his clothes. He was broken. He realized that all the cleansing he had done, the work he had done in the, in the temple was not enough because the wrath of God was coming. He knew the history of Israel. He knew their sin. And he realized, oh my, my fathers have done wickedly and all the people of Israel have followed them. God's wrath is surely to come on us. So, he cries out for mercy and he sends the high priest, the scribe, some other men along with them, men who were godly men, men who knew Jeremiah, men who probably knew Zephaniah. They were both contemporaries. Because Jeremiah began to prophesy in the 13th year of Josiah's reign. It's interesting. Why didn't he send them to Jeremiah? We don't know. Jeremiah must have been busy. Or something. But what did he want them to go find out? Was he just worried about the wrath of God for himself? I don't know. Let's see. Go inquire of the Lord. Verse 21. For me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah. He wasn't about himself alone. He was a godly leader. A man of God. And he cared about those who were under his authority. It wasn't enough that it would be okay for him. He was concerned for his subjects. Those who God had placed under Him. And this is a good warning and encouragement to us as men. It's not just about us. It's about those 
who are under our authority. We should care enough to speak the truth because it matters. We should care enough to lead our families. We should care enough to be light in a dark world. We're all leaders in some way. By example, by people looking up to us, whether that's people in our family or people outside. We are leading people. The question is, where? Josiah led the people to God. Josiah didn't read the book and just say, oh, it's hopeless. No, he went to God. He sent them to God. Because he had read the book. And what he found in the book was that God's wrath was going to be poured out. We see that there in verse 21. Why? Because our fathers have not observed the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. Josiah likely had read Deuteronomy. Remember the curses in chapter 29? First there was the blessings and then the curses. The curses took up the majority of chapter 29. How wicked men would be treated. But Josiah likely read this from Deuteronomy chapter 30. So shall it be when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons and the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. He had seen Israel already taken into captivity and he sees it's coming here. God's not done because we are wicked. My grandfather, he set up idols in the temple of God. My father was just as wicked or more so. It's no wonder God's wrath has come upon Israel and it's going to come on us. But he saw this hope that if he went to the Lord, maybe God would have mercy. So Hilkah and those men that had been sent, they went to Hilda, the prophetess. And this is what she said. She was not afraid to speak the word of the Lord. She said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man. She didn't say the king. She said, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord. This prognosis is not a good one. Right? 
Because I am bringing evil on this place, behold, I am bringing evil on this place and on its inhabitants, even all the curses written in the book which they have read in the presence of the king of Judah. That's why I think this is speaking specifically about Deuteronomy. Because it's only in Deuteronomy that you see these lists of curses that will come upon 